1: reckless
2: arrest. For us, it really does validate uh, what we've known from the onset of this incident.
1: An investigation concludes VPD officers should never have handcuffed innocent people.
3: A bitter feud takes a violent turn inside BC court. Global News exclusive access to evidence presented at the attempted murder trial.
1: And the province pushes faster housing development.
3: See, I think it's going to be a game changer to acquire and improve
4: lands.
1: It's big move to buy up land along transit corridors, forcing cities to adapt.
4: You're watching
3: Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It's the ruling Maxwell Johnson and the Haltzouk First Nation have been waiting for. They were not treated fairly by Vancouver police.
1: The indigenous man was wrongfully arrested alongside his granddaughter more than two years ago. An investigator now ruling officers' actions were disturbing and reckless. Catherine Urquhart reports.
2: It was December 2019 when Maxwell Johnson and his then 12 year old granddaughter were handcuffed outside a bank of Montreal in downtown Vancouver. They were trying to open an account when a branch employee questioned their status card and reported a fraud in progress.
5: Senior granddaughter get taken out of there and handcuffed. I don't think any grandfather or parent would like to see that.
2: Now a retired judge investigating the case for the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner has found two VPD officers committed professional misconduct. Brian Neal stated in part, I find that the arrests made by the members were made precipitously, recklessly and without good and sufficient cause. The members each acted recklessly.
6: It's been a long time coming for... To come out and the decision, this isn't being made on what happened to us. Um, just looking forward to where it's gonna lead to next.
2: Neil questioned Constable Canon Wong's reliability, citing his frequent use of I don't recall during the investigation. As for Constable Mitchell Tong, his sincerity was at issue. Tong said he handcuffed the two to stop them from fleeing, but Neil noted Johnson and his granddaughter had waited inside the bank for more than an hour, awaiting a resolution. Also, the officer allowed them to walk ahead of him to the sidewalk outside. The Vancouver Police Department has a lot of work to do, you know, to make sure that this doesn't happen again, that Those policies, you know, to prevent something like this does need to be put into place. In an emailed statement, Vancouver Police told Global News, This process was led by the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. We respect the decision and refer specific questions to the OPCC. There is an ongoing human rights process underway, and it would be inappropriate to comment further. Both officers face additional training and suspensions, They've also been invited to Bella Bella to participate in a Heiltsuk Nation healing circle, which Maxwell Johnson says would be a move in the right direction. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
3: More testimony today at the trial of a woman facing a number of charges, including attempted murder. Catherine Shen and Jing Lu had been in a civil dispute in B.C. Supreme Court when violence erupted. It's alleged Shen attacked Liu with a hammer and fish knife. Global News has obtained video and photographs entered as evidence from that day. Ramina Dea reports.
7: Catherine Shen enters B.C. Supreme Court at 9.18, the morning of May 25th. Shen's bags not checked by sheriffs. It is not a requirement. No metal detector at the entry. Jing Liu, 53 at the time, walks into courtroom 32 first followed by Shen, the women locked in a nasty civil dispute, vile attacks online dating back over a decade. Shen exits and returns. She appears to be pacing outside the courtroom two minutes before the case commences at 10 o'clock. Lu sitting inside the courtroom when she feels a blow to the head. It's like an earthquake, she testifies during trial. Lu said Shen had a hammer and a knife with a six-inch blade. Lu stabbed multiple times in the chest area, two gashes to the arm requiring staples. The major vein, which connects the heart and lung, cut. The sack containing the heart, injured. The left lung, punctured. The panic button hit by the court clerk. Sheriff John Roberge, the first to arrive. Stop, stop, he yells. Shen and Lu both comply immediately, laying on their backs. Roberge disarming Shen, pulling a hammer and fish knife out of her hands, and then handcuffing her, he testifies. Deputy Sheriff Bagri, the first to commence first aid on Lou, reassuring her she's in good hands. The odor of blood so strong you could smell it, says Deputy Sheriff Zanato. Moments later, he escorts Shen to jail. From the prisoner's box, twice Shen shouts out, Lou is a liar. Defense will be filing an NCRMD application, not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder. The trial now adjourned for psychiatric reports. The case continues April 20th. Shen remains in custody. A tragic case, leaving many wondering how an Internet battle on a Chinese forum meant to support newcomers Ended like this. Romina Day at Global News.
1: The man accused of killing a young woman working as a security guard at UBC Okanagan made his first court appearance today. 22-year-old Dante Onabene Heborn is charged with second-degree murder in the death of 24-year-old Harmandeep Kaur. She was attacked in the early morning of February 26 while working her security shift. Global News has learned that Onabene Heborn was a custodian working for a contracted company and was allegedly dealing with mental health issues. Harmandeep Kaur was a student at Okanagan College and recently received her permanent residency card she had been in Canada for five years and she wanted to be a paramedic
3: the trial has begun for a woman charged in the death of another woman with Down syndrome who was in her care Back in October of 2018, the body of 54 year old Florence Gerard was found in the Port Coquitlam home of Astrid Dahl. At the time, police said they believed there were signs of malnourishment and starvation. According to a family member, Gerard weighed about 56 pounds when she died. Dahl is charged with criminal negligence causing death and failing to provide the necessaries of life. Crown contends that Dahl failed to supply Gerard with her prescriptions and take her to medical appointments over a long period of time, which led to her decline in health, failure to eat and her eventual death. On Thursday, court will hear testimony from workers from Kinsight Community Society, the provider that oversaw the home sharing service.
1: Well, as BC health officials prepare to lift remaining COVID-19 restrictions, the message is clear that we all need to learn to live with the virus
3: as richard zussman reports some feel more than ready to live in a new normal while others say the province isn't doing enough to keep vulnerable people safe
8: just as COVID hit russ grab got the news no one wants to hear a cancer diagnosis it's
9: been an interesting journey along the way but here i am today still standing
8: now grab is one of those often described by public health is at the highest risk of serious illness from COVID-19. On Wednesday morning, he got an unexpected text—an invite for a COVID-19 fourth shot. By 1 p.m., the shot done. And even though COVID worries him, he's getting on and living his life.
9: Somebody who's immunocompromised, of course, uh, you know, you, you reach out to every opportunity to uh, put an extra arrow in your
8: quiver. Grab paints the picture of BC's transition, moving away from restrictions, which will almost all be gone by the end of the week. But not everyone is ready to move on. The most prominent of these voices, MLA Sonia Firstenow, saying unlike some Ontario cities, Dr. Bonnie Henry has not given enough information to people to allow them to protect themselves.
2: It provides the public with a rating of risk And right now, Peterborough Public Health is rated at high risk. And then it provides, under that rating, guidance of what to do.
8: More than 92% of those 80-plus have had two COVID vaccine doses, 81% with three. And they're now eligible for a fourth six months after that third. Among those 70 to 79, 92% have had two doses, 81% three.
10: 68,000 people over 70 who still need to get their first booster dose. And you need your third dose before you can get your fourth dose by definition.
8: And the province is also ramping up rapid testing. Nine million tests have been sent to pharmacies. 4.3 million have been handed out, leaving 4.7 million available. And starting next week, you can walk into a pharmacy with no care card and get a test kit.
10: And It'll make it simpler for pharmacists and simpler for us. And we've got the rapid tests to distribute.
8: As for Grab, he will keep wearing his mask. Looking forward to a Roger Waters concert this fall and doing head. his best to keep himself protected. And
11: over again.
8: Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria.
1: And here's a look at our latest COVID numbers in BC 329 people are in hospital. That's down five. 37 of those patients are in the ICU. That's an increase of two. And we have 216 new confirmed cases recorded in the last 24 hours.
3: Well, affordability is top of mind right now, especially with people feeling the pinch of inflation. So a pay raise that cabinet ministers just gave themselves retroactively came under fire in the House today. And with more on this, we'll bring in Keith Baldry. Keith, how much are we talking about here?
9: Yeah, so the B.C. Liberals call it a pay raise. The NDP says, no, it's not. It's a restored unfair pay cut. So the background is this. There's a law in the books in B.C. brought in by the B.C. Liberals that says if the government delivers a deficit budget, there has to be a 10% cut in the top-up for cabinet ministers' pay. That works out to about $5,600 a year. The NDP arguing the last two years have been uh, like like no other in terms of coming to uh, grips of balancing the budget. It's not possible. So it was unfair to talk ministers' pay. Nevertheless, optics are everything, and the BC Liberals sort of relished dining out on this issue in Question Period today, neatly framing the whole issue of giving more money to cabinet ministers against the affordability issue, hitting so many people hard in the wallet. Here's an excerpt from Question Period today.
6: So since it seems to be good enough for the NDP, will they stand in the House today and say, since they're working on the renter's rebate, will they now make that retroactive for the renters in BC?
10: Well, if if I were that member, I wouldn't uh, compare government records on housing, frankly. In 2021, housing starts increased by 25.6%. Reflecting a 35.2% increase in permitting for single-detached dwellings... and a 19.8% increase for multiple dwelling buildings. In 2012, 1,948 purpose-built rental registrations, 1,948. In 2021, 13,133.
9: So again, a rather lively question period today. That's also getting back to normal for the first time in uh, this pandemic. The Liberals have been dining out on the affordability issue quite uh, effectively in question period. I expect they're going to continue to do this. Uh, The trouble for them, though, the House rises tomorrow for two weeks. There's a two-week break for Easter. So some of that momentum will be lost that I think they gained today. Again, neatly framing increased uh, pay or a restored pay cut for uh, NDP cabinet ministers against the issue of affordability. It was quite entertaining today. No
3: doubt it was.
9: Never a dull moment,
3: though, generally in B.C. (laughs) politics. Thanks very much, Keith.
1: An aggressive approach to tackling the housing crisis. The province moves ahead with legislation that gives it more power to build affordable housing where and when it sees fit. How it cuts municipalities out of the equation. Next.
3: Well, the fight over Penticton's iconic peach on the beach and why locals are mad.
1: And coffee that packs more than a punch. What makes it special later?
3: Right now, though, new developments in a shocking incident in a B.C. Supreme courtroom that led to serious questions about security there.
1: A woman involved in a civil matter concealed a fish knife and a hammer in her bag and then allegedly attacked another woman. And now she's on trial for attempted murder. Raminadea reports. Jing Lu stood up in the witness
7: box describing in graphic detail how Catherine Chen was standing behind her with a hammer in her left hand and a knife with a six inch blade in her right. The incident took place inside courtroom 32 at Vancouver law courts last May. Lou stabbed twice in the chest area and slashed in the arm multiple times according to the evidence. Lou said she was sitting inside the courtroom when she felt a blow to her head. It was like an earthquake, she described. I was really fearful. I can't remember how I resisted it, Lou testified. I did not know where I was injured. I could only feel blood coming down. Ms. Shen was using all of her force to try to stab me with the knife. Court Sheriff John Roberge heard noises from the hallway. He testified how he ran into the courtroom, ordered both women to lay down. He said he took the hammer and a fish filleting knife out of the hands of Shen and arrested her. Lu and Shen had been in court for a contempt of court hearing in an ongoing civil suit. The women engaged in a nasty verbal war on social media for over a decade. Shen stood up in the prisoner's box twice, yelling out that Lu is a liar. The trial continues Wednesday. Romina Dea, Global News.
3: The charge of second-degree murder has now been laid in connection with a sudden death in Coquitlam last week. Police were called to a home in the 2,100 block, sorry, make that the 3,100 block of Coast Meridian Road on March 31st, where they found the body of a 41-year-old man now identified as Jude Daniel Gion. Now charged in his death is 46-year-old Shiroki Mirza Amir Abadi. Investigators say the two were known to each other, and there's no indication the incident is connected to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict.
1: Vancouver police are investigating three suspicious fires in Chinatown. The most damaging was on East Pender near Maine just before 10.30 last night. Officers on foot patrol also found two garbage cans on fire in the same area. All three are believed to be connected. Police say this is just the latest struggle for the neighborhood.
12: Folks in Chinatown, whether they live there or work there, um, are dealing with a lot of uh, crime and street disorder now, whether it's graffiti, graffiti. Um, Things like arson, deli- deliberately set fires, street disorder, um, crime that's spilling over in the downtown east side. Uh, it's a lot uh, that's going on there right now. So we're working really closely with the business community and people who live there to try to address some of these problems.
1: Business owners are currently circulating a petition about vandalism and graffiti in Chinatown. With thousands of signatures so far, police say although most graffiti goes unreported, there's actually been a 300% increase in Chinatown recently.
3: Coming up, a filmmaker flees Ukraine. What she and her daughter had to leave behind.
1: And in sports, the return of Tiger. What the golf great says about his comeback this week at Augusta.
0: Eastbound traffic has improved a lot here on Highway 1 through Burnaby after clearing some earlier problems, still a bit slow at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $38 million. Lotto Max dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
10: This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team, and let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca.
1: A warning once again about our coverage of Ukraine. Some of the video is disturbing. Officials now say the massacre of civilians in the town of Bucha outside of Kiev could be just the tip of the iceberg.
3: They say the situation in other towns where the Russian military has pulled out could be even worse. Aaron MacArthur has the latest.
13: The list of alleged war crimes is growing in the suburbs around Kyiv. New video emerging from Borodayanka, buildings reduced to rubble, an unknown number of people buried in the debris. There are fears the civilian toll here could be worse than what was discovered in Bucha. I don't know what exactly happened over there, says this man, but there are people under the debris. This police officer says the bodies we find, we drive them to the morgue to figure out the cause of death. I can't state the definite number. According to Ukrainian officials, the death toll is more than 300 in Bucha alone. Some people found bound or with gunshot wounds to the backs of their heads. As international outrage grows, President Zelensky addressed the UN Security Council Tuesday, pleading with the body to take action.
7: Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to close the UN? Do you think that the time of international law is gone? If your answer is no, then you need to act immediately.
13: Despite overwhelming evidence, Russia with a permanent seat on the Security Council, called the allegations of war crimes ungrounded. The UN seemingly powerless to stop Russian aggression. Western allies have ratcheted up the sanctions on Vladimir Putin's regime. The EU proposing a ban on coal imports and banning all Russian vessels from accessing its member ports. And the US planning to announce further sanctions Wednesday. What we've seen in uh, in Bucha is not the random act of a rogue unit. It's a deliberate campaign uh, to kill. Despite the evidence of war crimes, Ukrainians still committed to the peace process. Leaders admitting Tuesday this war will leave generational scars on their country. Aaron McCarthy, Global News.
1: And as Canada prepares for an influx of refugees from Ukraine, Okanagan residents are sending supplies to the war-torn country. The latest shipment, about $15,000 worth of medical supplies, water filters and other necessities for both soldiers and civilians, all of it donated by Okanagan residents to charity groups.
10: Every drop counts. That's the main thing. And uh, uh, every drop, every dollar you donate or every item you bring, we need to do something, we're doing something and it will help and it does help.
1: The group say they are also gearing up to help what could be thousands of Ukrainian refugees heading for B.C.
3: A mother and daughter who fled the horror in Ukraine are now safely in Vancouver. Christina Sivolop is a filmmaker in Kyiv, but as Kamal Kuramali reports, nothing she's seen through the camera lens compares to what she's seen
4: in real life over the last few weeks. You wouldn't be able to tell at first glance.
14: Good to you finally. Sorry, it would be
4: so long. It's okay. hi. But this is actually a meeting between complete strangers. Christina Suvolap, arriving from war-torn Ukraine.
11: So many
10: people came here to meet me and to hug us.
4: Meeting Pat Kelly, the Canadian who helped get her here.
10: I feel like uh, I've known her for a long time.
4: It's quite emotional. Emotional because Christina and her daughter had been holding on to hope for weeks they would one day be safe on Canadian soil. Now that moment is here, described in one word.
1: Oh, finally.
4: <laughs> Christina is a filmmaker from Kyiv. She's directed several Ukrainian movies and TV series, but what she helped put on the screen paled in comparison to what real life had suddenly become. So they fled.
15: It was crazy and very hard because we were driving under the explosions.
4: Her husband stayed behind to fight, the mother and daughter eventually making it to Poland, where they sat and waited for someone to offer a helping hand. <laughs> and then came in Christina's childhood friend, Olga, who teamed up with her family friend, Pat Kelly, to get them here.
15: I already feel, yeah, we're, we will be safe and in love.
4: Now, a hope Christina can continue her filmmaking journey in Canada.
11: She was uh, yeah, developing the Ukrainian film culture, hopefully she'll be doing that here as well. I know that
15: film industry in Vancouver is pretty much good, like everyone tells me that, so I believe them.
4: <laughs> Plans are already in place to screen one of her films in Vancouver, with funds going towards helping Ukraine. Kamal Karamali, Global News.
1: Coming up, a beachside brawl in Penticton.
10: Changing it to a different menu, I think a lot of people are going to be very disappointed.
1: Why locals are upset the former operator has been squeezed out.
3: And ICBC bets on an app to make your teenage driver a little better.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Good evening. Traffic is steady both ways on Highway One over the Portman Bridge. Just be aware if you plan on using low heat highway as an alternate to Highway One. There's lots of leftover volume after a crash near Colony Farm. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated thirty eight million dollars. Lotto Max dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
1: Police in Sydney on Vancouver Island are trying to crack down on prolific graffiti and vandalism in the community. RCMPs say sexual, racist and anti-LGBTQ comments have been spray-painted on buildings recently and are blatant defacing of property. Police are asking anyone who knows the people responsible to contact them with any information.
3: Months after a local teenager was brutally assaulted by as many as three men along a Kelowna rail trail, the victim's family wants to know why no arrests have been made and no charges laid. And liberal MLA for Kelowna Mission, Renee Merrifield, is now taking their fight to the provincial legislature.
10: Dallas Zagodnik was recently attacked on the Kelowna rail trail in the middle of the afternoon. The 17-year-old suffered a fractured skull and a collapsed lung. Dallas works full-time to support himself, and all his possessions were taken in the attack, including his bike, which was found dumped in Mission Creek, along with his shoes and cell phone that were taken.
3: Merrifield points out four months later, Dallas and his family are still waiting for justice. In Question Period Tuesday, Merrifield challenged Attorney General David Eby to explain why more hasn't been done in this case.
10: I'm not familiar with uh, the uh, horrific uh, attack the member describes. Where it's at in the process, if there was a report to Crown Council, what the decision of Crown was. Um, I can advise the member in Dallas that sometimes there is a delay in laying charges as police assemble their file.
3: The teen is on a long road to recovery from serious head and lung injuries. A GoFundMe called Help Dallas Heal and Recover that was set up by a friend of the family has so far raised more than $23,000. Well,
1: the iconic, iconic peach concession stand in Penticton now has new operators.
3: But as Global's Taya Fast shows us, the decision to award the contract to a Calgary company has sparked uproar among Penticton residents.
14: The iconic peach concession stand on Lakeshore Drive has new operators and Bendicton residents are not feeling too peachy about the decision. Lemons just don't. Peaches grow here. Lemons
7: don't.
2: Very disappointed because we love to stop here in our walks every day and so many people will miss it so much.
10: Yeah, and I always enjoy what they had here so changing it to a different menu, I think a lot of people are going to be very disappointed.
14: Family Squeeze Lemonade won the bid for the new three-year contract, squeezing out longtime local operator Diana Sterling, who ran the peach ice cream shop here since 2016. Since the announcement, over 5,000 people have signed an online petition asking for the city to change their mind. There has been some backlash.
2: I think that some of it's been quite biased. I also think some of it's been uneducated. Um, We've also been met with a lot of support, so I would prefer... To, to focus
14: and, and to really land on that. Family Squeeze says even though they are based in Calgary, local family members will be running the peach. We
2: have family from Kelowna who will be, you know, helping in the process of running it, and we are hiring a bunch of local people to run it as well, which is what we always do in any city that we go to, as well as hiring tons of kids for their first job, which we love.
14: Andrews added, although they are in the business of lemonade, fear not, the peach won't be turned into a lemon. Peach is literally the peach. It's always going to be the peach. Um, I would have no desire to turn it into a lemon. Anthony Haddad with the city of Pendicton says the decision followed the city's public request for proposal process.
10: At, at the
3: end of those three-year terms, there's no guarantee that that service provider will continue on operating a concession, whether it's the Peach or any other concession in the city. So as we go through those public processes, there's opportunities for other uh, service providers to provide uh, service to the community in those locations.
14: The process attracted three bids and a decision was made based on specific criteria.
3: We look at business plan, we look at the fit for the community based on the location of the service that the city is looking at providing and uh, really looking at providing the best opportunity for the community to to benefit from these commercial
11: uh, operations on public parkland.
14: Family Squeeze says they will be incorporating local ingredients throughout their menu and will be serving up many flavours of lemonade, ice cream and other treats. Taya Fass, News, Penticton.
1: ICBC is launching a new app to help drivers recognize road hazards. It's called Street Sense, the app designed for inexperienced and new BC drivers to avoid potential issues before they get behind the wheel. ICBC says the number of drivers getting their learner's license has increased 24% since 2020. Street Sense is available as an app, a computer download, and will soon be available for VR headsets.
3: Well, despite the strides BC has made during the pandemic, a lockdown of one of China's largest cities continues following increased COVID 19 case counts there. Some 26 million people are confined to their homes. People in Shanghai haven't seen measures like this since the original virus was first discovered in Wuhan. Global's Kyle Benning reports. Full-scale
12: COVID-19 testing of every person in one of China's largest cities is underway. Shanghai is behind a wall, with groceries and medicine being delivered door-to-door. China has a strict zero-COVID policy. Local officials say once results come in, the most pressing task is to ramp up measures on transporting and isolating positive cases. Once they're detected people will be transferred to designated hospitals for immediate isolation and timely treatment. Vaccine rates are high and severe outcomes limited. State-affiliated media says people are more concerned with the annoyance of COVID-19. Anyone who tests positive needs to go into central quarantine Uh, If you're symptomatic, you need to go to a central um, hospital. If you're asymptomatic, uh, you feel completely fine, but you test positive, you also need to go to a central quarantine site. He says anyone in a government-run facility can leave after producing two negative tests in consecutive days. Shanghai recorded more than 13,000 new cases Monday, with nearly all of them being asymptomatic, as stealth Omicron, or BA2, spreads through the city. It's the first time Shanghai has reached a five-figure daily case count since the first outbreak at the end of 2019. Canadian experts say this is why it's important for all countries to continue genome testing for the next variant.
6: It could be here in Montreal, it could be somewhere in Canada, it could be at the other end of the world, but we know it can spread extremely rapidly.
12: And while a full lockdown might not be needed in Canada, People can't pretend we're past the pandemic yet.
10: We are now at this stage in Canada learning how to live with, not just learning to live with it, learning how safely and smartly, you know, live with COVID-19.
12: This is the first lockdown of this magnitude Shanghai has seen after officials tried to isolate parts of the city in previous weeks. Kyle Benning, Global News.
1: Well, while COVID vaccines have grabbed headlines over the past two years, it was 100 years ago today that Canada made what has been described as the greatest contribution to health care, insulin. To mark the date the first insulin injection was given, a 16-year-old Vancouver resident is taking on a daunting challenge. Wilson Gallardi is looking to spend 100 hours on top of a 40-foot flagpole on Granville Street in support of finding a cure for diabetes. The cause is personal for Wilson. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of six.
11: I took some convincing at the beginning, but I volunteered because I have the access to the medical tools, and uh, not, not all families do. And I want to change that, and I want to change the lives of uh, so many families, and I want to be a part of it.
1: Wilson says he has plenty of homework and movies to keep him busy during that 100 hours. He's one of five volunteers across the country who will be taking part in the flagpole challenge this week. Just ahead, a good cause in a cup.
5: Growing up, my grandma was a coffee
1: farmer. How Rwandan coffee is helping heal trauma in Vancouver and around the world.
3: And beam me up, Scotty. The announcement that has Trekkies everywhere, including Sophie, so excited. <laughs> You're watching Global News Hour at 6
1: times today it felt colder than
3: winter. Yeah, colder than it should. Yeah. Well, you know, let's check the data. I know somebody who has it. There's Christy right now. Let's see what's coming this spring forecast.
16: Thanks, you guys. Well, so we are climbed our way back to near seasonal values today. Definitely yesterday was cold, but it was also the fact that we had a really strong westerly northwest flow today and that kept things really cool. Not to worry, there is some warm weather on the way, but first here's a look at how windy it got. So last night we had gusts up to 98 kilometers an hour across the southern tip of Vancouver Island. Those shifted across our region. We saw gusts up to 63 kilometers an hour and through Point Atkinson. There was only a couple of hundred people without power today and there. weren't any warnings, but boy, was it gusty across the region. And that was the case in through the interior regions as well, where as well, there was only a couple hundred without power. Uh, We also saw some nice sunshine, but there were some pretty... Heavy-duty downpours in a few areas, and you can see that in this image from Catherine Swift. Thanks so much for that one, and one from Robin showing a rainbow from the downpour of rain. But here's a look at the hail in Qualicum Beach because of that system there. Uh, so certainly an incredible downpour of hail. It almost looks like snow in that area. Thanks to Beth for sharing that with us. All right, so let's have a look at what we're going to see tomorrow. Temperatures are expected to warm up. We're going to have a more wet southwest flow. It means rain for the central coast region and quite a bit of it. Although there's no warnings in place right now, you may want to tune in tomorrow for more details. But overall, for our area, we're going to see this nice southwest flow and we'll see some cloud cover in the mix, certainly. But overall, we've got dry conditions on the way and that's the case in through the interior regions as well. So tomorrow, back to near seasonal values. 12 degrees as our daytime high, but the highlight will be Thursday with a high of 16 degrees, which will be the warmest that we've seen so far this year. We're back to rain on friday though so definitely use your uh, dry weather over the next couple of days i know a lot of people have been out using it that's for sure this shot from barry in shelter bay which by the way is uh, in the arrow lakes area so just north of the cusp uh, beautiful shot just from earlier today thanks to barry for that one lovely thank you christy
3: it's a beauty All right, everybody, those screams of joy you might have heard today. That might have been Sophie (laughs) and lots of other fans of Star Trek, the next generation.
9: I am not a man who needs a legacy.
1: My heart started racing. (laughs) I was so excited. Paramount Studios releasing this unexpected teaser for season three of Star Trek Picard. They haven't said much in the way of details, but this is all we needed to see. The trailer revealing that every major cast member from the original TNG, that's Next Generation Mm -hmm. series, will be joining Patrick Stewart for the third and final season of Picard. No release date has been announced as season two is still airing, but oh my goodness... That's what I've been waiting for my whole life <laughs> since since 1988. Since 1988,
3: 1988
11: exactly. On Were you liking any of those other Star Treks in between that and now?
1: Well, I will say that I was inspired <laughs> by John Horgan to watch Voyager during the pandemic. And now I'm watching Deep Space Nine.
11: Okay.
1: So I have no life. That's <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what I do. Are you Star Wars material? I no? like Star Wars too, but Star okay. Trek is
11: special where it's at okay we'll ask you tomorrow your thoughts on baby yoda and the blushing right now (laughs) okay so um it's kind of a health update here brock besser can't play uh quinn hughes might not play but tiger woods might play all of that coming up
3: big week Augusta. All right, thanks very much, Squire. We'll get back to you a little bit later.
1: Also tonight, coffee for a cause. How Rwandan immigrants are using their business to make the world a better place.
3: There's the man.
11: The myth, the legend. <laughs> Squire. Squire Barnes. Oh, I thought somebody else was here. Okay. <laughs> Always you. Uh, it's more than likely Niels Hoglander and Tucker Poolman will not play for the Canucks anymore this season because of injuries. Now Brock Besser is out with an upper body injury. We don't know how severe it is yet, but he didn't practice today. He won't play tomorrow in Vegas. This injury is likely from what happened against Vegas on Sunday. Second period, Besser gets run into by Elias Petterson, who's trying to hit former Canuck Ben Hutton. Besser took a shot to his right shoulder area. You can clearly see when he leaves the ice, there's something up with his right shoulder or arm. But uh, he did come back and finish the game, but the Canucks right now don't know his prognosis.
6: I don't know. Like I said, I have no idea until we find out exactly. I haven't heard from a doctor or a trainer on his. Uh, uh, just that he's still being evaluated. So I guess he's seeing doctors today.
11: It's been a bad day for the Hughes brothers. Jack Hughes was told by doctors he can't play the rest of this season because of a knee injury. He officially has an MCL sprain that was suffered in a game against the Islanders on the weekend. Meanwhile... Quinn Hughes didn't practice today because he was sick, but not COVID sick and he's not the only Canuck suffering either
6: Quinn's sick we're hoping he ends up making the trip, but uh, we didn't want him to <coughs> excuse me practice in case he gives it to anybody else so hopefully uh, he feels much better tonight and he can get on a plane tomorrow.
17: Is that what he you shut down st- or there was no practice yesterday because yes. it was quite a
6: problem well, we had a couple guys uh, thrown up and we didn't want that to filter through the team. As you know, in Vancouver, it's happened before, and we just tried to take preemptive uh, pre- precautions, I guess. Bruce Boudreau is one of the
11: good guys in the NHL. So is Rick Bonas, who, of course, coaches Dallas, used to work with the Canucks. And Vancouver's kind of hoping he, his team loses tonight. But Marion Studenich gets a goal here off a rebound to make it one nothing for Dallas. They're against the Islanders. Paggio tied it for New York and then kind of a weird bounce here off the body of Tyler Sagan, but that's a good goal and it's 2-1 early in the second for the Stars. It was raining this morning at Augusta National, but a press conference with Tiger Woods brightened everybody's mood because after feeling not too bad following a practice round on Monday, Tiger is penciled in to start the tournament, barring any setback at 7.35 in the morning, our time,
17: on Thursday. After the update the sports world was waiting for.
18: I feel like I am going to play.
17: Tiger Woods told reporters today that 14 months after the car crash that almost cost him his right leg, he is back here at Augusta with one goal.
12: If I can still compete at the highest level, I'm going to. I don't show up
17: to an event unless I think I can win it. That would require walking six miles or more each round over the hilly terrain of Augusta National. Though his stride during his practice rounds has looked less than a hundred percent at times, he insists he's good to go.
13: I've
12: had to endure pain before, and obviously this is a lot more traumatic. What has transpired to
17: my leg? Uh, we've had to put a lot of work. But what's also clear from the practice rounds is the frenzy his return is creating. This place has got to feel like twice that. Golf writer Ron Green is covering his forty-first Masters. This is like. Bringing back something you didn't think you were going to see again. This is like if the Beatles came back and finally did that concert they never did.
9: There it is. A win for
17: the ages. After five Masters wins, Woods says he's not done yet.
12: When I I decide to hang it up and I feel like I I can't win anymore and that'll be it. Uh,
17: But I feel like I can still do it. And as any golf fan knows, if Tiger feels like he can still do it, no one should argue.
11: The Vancouver Canadians are finally in Vancouver again, and I don't mean Vancouver, Washington. They don't have a temporary home in the U.S. this season. They can now play games at Nat Bailey Stadium. Things have changed a bit since the last time the Canadians played at their real house. They are no longer in rookie ball. This version of the C's plays a longer season as members of what is called High A Baseball. But one thing that is still the same the Vancouver Canadians are still a Blue Jays farm team.
18: It means a lot to the players to be here. You can tell when, when we got the group together when it was announced, um, there was a special energy in the room when we had our first team meeting, so uh, it means a lot to them. It's a Vancouver
17: Canadians homecoming that's been two years in the making. Sees back at the Nat where it's a trip down memory lane for manager and North Delta native Brent Lavallee, as well as one of two Canadian-born pitchers on the roster, North Vancouver's Will McCaffer.
18: Arms feeling really good, uh, feeling healthy, had a really good spring, uh, kind of sitting around that 94, 95 mile an hour range right now, topping out a little higher than that, probably 97, 98-ish. So, um, yeah, planning to get after some hitters with some good fastballs and uh, see see what they can do against it. Who
17: excites you and who should fans be excited to see here in terms of some of the top prospects with Blue Jays?
18: Just depends what you like. If you like offense, uh, watch the middle of the order. If you like defense, take a look at the outfield. Um, we're very athletic, so... You'll see a lot of out, a lot of infielders in the outfield, a lot of outfielders moving around. Catchers will play outfield, um, so just the versatility. So if if you like offense, you like defense, and then, you know, we'll talk about pitching. We've got some big names and. And we like what we got in the back end of the bullpen as well.
17: The Seas begin their 132-game season Friday night in Spokane. Then it's time to play ball at the Nat for the first of 66 home games when the Seas take to the Diamond for their home opener
18: Tuesday, April the 19th. I'm happy for the players uh, to get here to experience this. Um, You know, for myself and my family, it's a pretty cool thing as well. But just happy for the players and the fans to get to see the Canadians back here on Canadian soil.
11: Speaking of Canadians... Our men's curling team at the World Championships in Las Vegas. We're down 5-1 to Germany after three ends. Then we rallied big time. Scored three in the fourth, three in the sixth, one at 11-7. We are still unblemished. Champions League action, Manchester City, Atletico Madrid. First of two, quarterfinal action. This guy is someone Canada has to worry about at the World Cup. Kevin De Bruyne. Of Belgium, leading Man City scoring the only goal here, a one-nothing win. He is probably the best midfielder in the world, and as I said, Canada is going to have to deal with him at the World Cup. There you go.
3: All right,
1: thank you very much, Squire.
3: Still ahead, how coffee beans from Rwanda are much more than a BC business opportunity. Jordan Armstrong is standing by right now. In an excellent tie if i might add
10: <laughs> to give us you were better
3: <laughs> i'm Come not on. sure it's it, it's a tie there we go. uh this is a look at what's coming up at 11 jordan
10: chris thanks tonight we'll have details on another unprovoked stranger attack in metro vancouver the victim was attacked with a hatchet and robbed of their bag outside new westminster skytrain station at 11 you'll hear who's been charged plus the information police still need to further the investigation. Also, we're expecting an emotional reunion tonight between a B.C. family who used to live in Ukraine and some refugees coming from that war-torn country. These stories and more on Global News at 11. Chris.
3: Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan.
1: Well, a Vancouver woman is launching a new business she hopes will help her fellow survivors of one of the most horrendous slaughters in human
3: history. As Krista Dow reports, her efforts are aimed at those who still struggle with the nightmare of Rwanda.
15: With every scoop,
5: Nadine Umutoni moves one step closer toward her goal. My grandma was a coffee farmer. I've always known that at some point I wanted to be part of it in one way or another.
15: The journey to this very moment is one few can understand. Umutoni is a survivor, having lived through one of the most atrocious horrors in human history, the Rwandan genocide of 1994.
5: It is so hard to talk about it. So, during the genocide of Tutsi in Rwanda in 1994, unfortunately my grandmother was killed and a huge part of my family, but she started the coffee farming in my my family. In about
15: 100 days, the Hutu ethnic majority killed as many as 800,000 members of the Tutsi minority. Her family wasn't spared. She's alive because of the kindness of one Hutu woman who protected her.
5: You know, she's a Tutsi. she must die. She's like, you know what, I understand, but you kill her, you kill me.
6: <laughs> my
5: three brothers were killed, my two sisters and my mom. Umatoni
15: has only recently spoken about her experience, and the healing is only just
5: beginning, removing pieces of trauma
15: one by one. As
5: a genocide survivor, uh, after the genocide, unfortunately, we were not fortunate enough to get to deal with the atrocities that we had just gone through. So we really never got a chance to talk about it and deal with it on an on, uh, on, on emotional level.
15: The beans she brews come from her home country of Rwanda. Parts of the proceeds will go to helping other survivors there and in Vancouver with trauma therapy and mental health issues. Resources, this professor says, are so desperately needed.
4: I always believe
12: that it's the healing that gets people moving in life. We should be mindful of thinking about things like access, ease, feasibility,
4: acceptability.
15: Her past is why she's hopeful for the future. And her duty to others rooted in this very cause. It's, it, it
5: makes me happy. It's what I want to do for the rest of my life.
15: Krista Dow, Global
3: News
5: try that out
3: hope she succeeds okay uh last word on weather from christy before we go
16: a little chilly tonight that's for sure but we're expecting near seasonal values tomorrow next two days look dry although we'll certainly see more cloud cover on thursday but 16 degrees will be pretty nice compared to what we've been enjoying over the last little while rain not expected until friday so a couple of dry days will be nice
3: that will feel good (laughs) thanks christy and thanks for watching everybody have a good night
16: good night all